Good morning. It's good to see you all today. My name is Damian Thompson. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and I'm blessed to be able to spend a little time with you guys today. Um, I really love just that last, those last words uh, from that brother. He discovers that he's not alone. And one of the things that we have been embracing and just, just looking forward to what God is going to continue to do is in this journey in this, this, uh, this thing called Alpha, um, it's a space where we're inviting people to come in and while we are walking through uh, the basics of the Christian faith, we're opening up the space to questions. We're opening up the space to people who do not have a faith. We're opening up the space to people who might be questioning their faith. It's just, just know that we're all welcome to sit and understand we serve a God who is bigger than our questions or our doubt. But what he doesn't want us to do is walk away. He wants us to come together. Let's sit and let's listen to the words of Jesus. Let's learn together. Let's question together. Let's journey together. And uh, if you have not joined us yet in this, I, I would tell you that you're missing out, but you probably just think, oh, Damien, you're supposed to say that. But I can tell you that on Alpha Online, our last group, it was powerful. It was powerful. And so I want to encourage you, consider. It's not too late. There never is a bad time to join Alpha. Come on in and join us. Right now, we're on week three in this journey. And uh, the first two weeks, uh, Pastor Scott took us through two important questions. The first week was, who is Jesus? And then the second week was, why did Jesus die? And if you miss those, if you want to go back and watch them, grab our app, go to Messages, everything is saved right there. If you're a podcaster, it's available in that setting as well. But today, we're going to be looking at the fundamental question, how can I have faith? Okay? So church, before we get started, would you pray with me? Jesus, this is your time. This is your space. We're going to sit, we're going to listen, we're going to learn at your feet. So come, meet us in this place. Show us a little more about who you are. We are excited to hear what you have to show us. In your name we pray, amen. Today, church, we're going to be spending a lot of time in Scripture. It's not going to be on the screens. I just, I like it when we have that tactile engagement where you got a Bible open, you got your app open, so go ahead and get rolling with those. Um, I'll just give you a heads up, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, so there's your, your first Scripture you can start turning to. But if you need a Bible, our ushers are ready to hand you one. All you need to do is lift up your hand, they'll take care of the rest. Here we go. So if faith is important to God, important to Jesus, important to the spirit that dwells within us. I thought it would be good for us to start out by having a better understanding of what faith is. What is faith? See, in Paul's first letter to that church in Corinth, it, he, he spends a chapter, an entire chapter, talking about love. And talking specifically about how it is more important than any spiritual gift or any particular ability that you might have. And we actually even call that, that chapter, chapter 13, we call it the love chapter. But if you back up one chapter to chapter 12, Paul actually takes time to help us understand what spiritual gifts are and to help us understand that not everyone has the same gift but that all of them come from the same God and are for 
the common good. So let's go ahead and let's just take a look. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 4. This is what Paul writes. Paul says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. And here it is, church. To another faith by the same Spirit. So is faith a thing? Yeah, it's a thing. But our question today isn't, do I have the spiritual gift of faith? Our question is much simpler. How can I have faith? So let's look at the most commonly understood worded definition of faith. We're going to find it in Hebrews 1, 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 1. You don't have to turn there. Most of you already know what it is. As I start reading it, you'll go, oh yeah, I knew that. The, read, the writer of Hebrews says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for, but not the insurance of things hoped for. See, assurance is a positive declaration intended to give confidence. It's, it's, it, see, so in other words, so here's what an assurance is. Now, how many of you have been to Yosemite uh, National Park? Oh, if you haven't been, you need to go. You need to go. But here's one of the things I'm going to warn you about. If you are a hiker, because if you want to go see stuff, you 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 got to hoof it. You, you can't really, you can't jump in the car and run up to Half Dome. Nope, that's not how it works. you got to walk. And as you're walking, you're going to walk by some beautiful stuff. It's just like, wow, God, you just kind of hung out here for a bit. But there's these signs that occasionally pop up. And they're very... Matter of fact, they say, stay on the trail. If you go on the other side of this sign or you cross over the fence, you will die. They want to assure you. They don't want to leave anything up to chance or just, nah, did they really mean that? No, they're very serious. If you go past this sign, you will die. And they leave it there for you. So that is an assurance. But insurance, which I think some of us might wonder if this is what faith is, listen to this. Insurance is usually understand, understood as a practice or arrangement by which a company or government agency provides a guarantee of compensation for specified loss, damage, illness, or death in return for payment of a premium. Is there anybody here who didn't know that? Now, we all knew that because we all pay for it, right? And insurance is real, and insurance is important, especially right now for the communities in Florida and the East Coast dealing with Hurricane Ian. I can't even imagine what's happening in Cuba and Puerto Rico. Please continue to keep them in your prayers. But insurance, it matters. But faith isn't the contractual agreement of things hoped for, like insurance is a contractual agreement. It's the positive declaration of things hoped for. And it is the conviction of things not seen. 
In the New King James Version, it, it translates it as the evidence of things not seen. And I love, I love the message because sometimes I just like plain words. And it says, it's our handle on what we can't see. I read that and I go, okay, I get it. But let's take a few minutes and let's look at the types of faith. Some of the types of faith that Jesus encountered and how he responded to them. So I'm going to have you turn to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 8 for just a few minutes. So this will be a good reason for, for you to turn. Okay? One of the types of faith that Jesus encountered was a strong faith. It was a strong faith. It was not common that he encountered a strong faith. But here in Matthew 8 beginning with verse 5, this is what Matthew recorded. He, it says, when he, had entered, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go and he goes, and to another, come and he comes, and to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled, and he said to those who followed him. Now, I'm just going to pause right here, because if you back up to verse 1 of chapter 8, if you just glance at it, if you have it there in front of you, it says that Jesus was being followed by great crowds. So I want you to understand this setting. This isn't a situation where Jesus has got 15, 20, 30 people with him, and he's just turning and he's just talking to a group of folks. He's talking to a big, huge crowd of people. And look at what he says. In verse 10, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Ouch. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom, Israel, will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. The, that, the, see, this faith moved Jesus so much that he dropped some serious prophecy on this huge crowd of mostly Jews, and that included his disciples. And the reason why I say mostly Jews is that we don't know it was 100% Jews, but we are in Israel. And then he provided that healing that was believed for, but never actually seen. See, Matthew tells us that the servant was healed, but everybody who was there in that moment who heard Jesus say what he said, well, the, the servant that's healed is over back at the centurion's house. And they never saw it. But Matthew records that it did happen. And then a few verses later in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus engages what he refers to as little faith or weak Faith is what I, I like to call it. So, so go down to verse 23. 
And there it says, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? Now, personally, I've been struggling with this idea that the disciples' faith in that moment, in this specific situation, was supposed to produce some kind of a different response because they're in a boat that is getting swamped, it says. And they said, we're we're perishing, Lord. In other words, we're about to die. But I wonder, I just wonder, could it have been that Jesus was frustrated with their little faith, is what he said. Because that faith was centered in the disciples' own ability to save themselves, as opposed to having faith in the Messiah who was in the boat with them. I just wonder. I don't know, but I'm hypothesizing. And then I want you to go ahead and turn over to Matthew 17, so just a few chapters over. And Jesus is going to present a very specific type of faith. In Matthew 17, starting with verse 14, Matthew writes, And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, kneeling before him, and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire, and often he falls into the water. And I brought him to your disciples... And they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Church, have you ever seen a mustard seed? It's small. Okay? I know most of us don't carry mustard seed in our pocket. We don't keep it in the glove compartment. I know. But let me just give you just an idea. When I say small, let's just take a look at this picture right here. Now, that, that's the end of a pen, you know, a little stick pen. And next to it, that's a mustard seed. And Jesus says, if you've got faith that's that size, that's all you're going to need. Now, you can just imagine for the disciples, that was not exactly a coach em up moment. But, you know, church, it it makes me wonder, does does the type of faith we have matter? You know, I I do know this, that if you're going to go buy a truck or a vehicle to tow something that's heavy, the type of engine that you have in that car, in that truck, it matters. 
I know that as we get closer to Thanksgiving and we get done with all of the food prep, because Thanksgiving requires food prep, but it's time to start cooking. The type of oven you have matters. And I'm just going to pray right here in the name of Jesus that all ovens work well this coming Thanksgiving. Glory, hallelujah. I know that if, if you can remember, if there was a sport that as a kid you went out for the first time, or maybe you had a child that went and played a sport that you haven't, but you're out there cheering them on, they're on the field, they're on the court, and they're out there doing their best. But there's a child that's eight inches taller, 50, 60 pounds heavier. Yeah, the type of athlete matters. So, but Jesus is letting us know that if you've got mustard seed faith, mustard seed faith, you can move mountains. So, all right, I'm just going to keep moving on here. Now, one thing I think is really important for us to understand is the difference between belief and faith. Now, we tend to use those words kind of interchangeably. But I want to take some time to help us see the differences between belief and faith. So I'm going to start with belief. And I'm going to have you turn to John chapter 4. Okay? There's a very, very important story there and a very important moment for us to look at. See, belief is a starting point. Now, in John chapter 4, here's the setting. Jesus is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. We, most of us know this story as the woman at the well is how she's referred to. Now, I want you to know two things about this. Number one, Jesus is having a conversation with a woman by himself. Eh, that, that, was not, that was not a good thing to be doing. But secondly, and more importantly, he was having a conversation with a Samaritan. And that was even worse. But that's what I love about Jesus. Because he didn't care. But in the midst of this conversation, he begins to reveal to her that this Messiah that she even knows about, he lets her know, I am him. But what really messes her up is that he begins to tell her things about her life that there's absolutely no way Jesus could have known. And if you're wondering what kind of impact that has, she runs back to the town she's from. The town where her reputation is not real good. And she begins to tell them, you need to come and meet this man who just told me some stuff about myself. So we're going to pick this up in verse 39. And let's take a look at this. John chapter 4, verse 39. And John writes, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed two whole days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to this woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Belief is a starting point. It is a crucial starting point. It is a non-negotiable starting point. There's several other moments. Let me just share them with you real quickly. You don't have to read, to read them or turn to them. Let me do that for you. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44, 
This is at the beginning of the church, the beginning of the bride of Christ. It says in verse 44 in Acts chapter 2, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. In John chapter 3, 17 and 18, John wrote, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. For whoever believes in him is not condemned. Amen. And in John chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So belief is a starting point. But the second thing is that belief is an understanding. It is an understanding. If you turn to Matthew chapter 16, I know you saw it already on the screen, and I'm going to trust that most of you are already there, aren't you? Ooh, see, it's good to work with smart people. Come on, here we go. In Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 13, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. And what's nice about this conversation is nobody's messed up, so he's not checking anybody, and he's not letting them have it. They're having a conversation. So let's read, see what happens here. Starting with verse 13, Jesus, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? That I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter understood who Jesus was. And his belief gave him understanding of Jesus. There's another story that I think is just, it's, it's one of those wild moments if you stop and pause and look at it. If you turn to John 11, John chapter 11. While you're turning there, let me go ahead and just give you the backdrop of what we got here. There's somebody who is beloved by Jesus. His name is Lazarus. And he's been given word that Lazarus has fallen ill. And they plead for him to come to save Lazarus. But Jesus doesn't come right away. He comes. But he basically comes too late. Now I want you to understand, Jesus was, he wasn't some you know, thoughtless, feelingless person. He was fully human. And because he loved Lazarus, he was grieving too. So when he gets there, the family is probably just a mess. But then Jesus has a conversation with Martha. And let's go ahead. We're going to pick this up. John 11, starting in verse 21. And it says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha came in hot. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And Jesus asks her, do you believe this? 
she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Mm, I love Martha. See, when Jesus began to proclaim who he was, there were many people that didn't believe him. They said, isn't this Joseph and Mary's boy? Yeah, we know him, and he ain't no Messiah. But as he began to perform miracle after miracle, he got their attention, and then they began to believe the things that he was saying, as long as it felt good. But, th you know, there were times when stuff he's saying, people weren't feeling it. But there were some who believed that he was who he said he was, like Martha and like Peter. So belief, it's, it's a starting point. And in belief, it, it, it's an understanding. But now we're going to transition into faith and what it is and how faith is different than belief. Now, church, I'm, I'm a guy who likes his movies. And I don't like all kind of movies. I'm sorry. I don't like all kinds of movies. I like my rom-coms. I like an occasional drama that's written well. But I like my action movies, okay? I, I, I like things blowing up. I like, it's what I like. Don't judge. Okay, so the Mission Impossible franchise is something that, yeah, got to go. Thank you. I see a nodded head from my brother. Got to go. You got to see it. And I, there's this particular scene that came to me, and I just wanted to share this with you guys because I remember this scene, and I thought, you know what, this really fits well here. Now, unfortunately, this scene doesn't contain Tom Cruise. I'm sorry, ladies. You just have to get over it. So what happens is these two guys, are, they're running through the game plan. Okay, they're on their way in a mission. They're in a plane. They're running through the game plan, and they're just kind of running through the, okay, you're going to, and then I'm going to. And then I want you to watch and see what happens because something goes down right here. Take a look at this. Okay, so we enter the party separately as guests. You think quarterbacks while Gene gets, gets the codes. codes from the billionaire. I switch right. off the fan, you jump into the computer array, and I catch you. You plug in the transmitter, then Ethan feeds me the codes, which I then use to pinpoint Hendrick's yep. location. Okay, yeah, you um, breezed over something I think really important, the computer array part, where I just jump. And I catch you. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Why is that so hard to grasp? Well, why? It, it's, it's a... 25-foot drop. I'd be more worried about the heat. And then there's that. What heat? Well, it's like any computer, isn't it? If you switch off the fan, it's going to get really hot. <laughs> of course. Relatively, you know. Of course it will. So I'm, I'm jumping into uh, 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 an oven, essentially. Yeah, essentially. But um, I'll catch you. Did you see where, you know, they're a team and they're together and they're believing that everything about this plan is going to work, but you realize there's one of them who's going to have to go a step further than just believing. And I love the fact that he said, yeah, you jump and I'll catch you. I don't see what the problem is. And we all know what the problem is. You ain't jumping. Now, church, faith, while fully connected to belief, is a continuation of this process of transitioning from being a believer in Jesus, which is core to becoming a follower 
of Jesus. And this is where faith comes in. Guys, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, this is where we're going we're gonna to hang out here for the remainder of our time together. And let me just give, you know, just a little bit of, of uh, backdrop on this. So we got two stories that are happening. One is concerning a guy named Cornelius. The other one is concerning a guy named Peter. Peter tends to come up a lot. He's real good at that. And then we're going to see where these stories converge together in one of the most significant moments in Christianity. All right, so here we go. Starting in verse 1, we're going to find out about Cornelius' story. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. It reads, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to, to God. Now about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror. And said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, who lives, whose, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, here is where we see that faith is movement. Okay? It is movement. Cornelius, a centurion, is visited by an angel of God and church. He is shook. Okay? Now, I want you to understand, I use that word shook on purpose because every time I put it in, Microsoft Word said, no, I think you mean the word shaken. And I thought, well, that's proper English, but no, that's not the point I'm trying to get at. In my vernacular, from my culture, the word is shook, okay? You, you, you have to understand, um, he immediately calls two of his most trusted servants and, 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 and one of his most devout soldiers to tell them what just happened. And I believe that the reason why he did this is simple. You don't become a centurion within the Roman army by being goofy, by being crazy, okay? You've got to be smart. You've got to be shrewd. You've got to be strategic. And so I'm pretty sure he came out of that moment thinking, okay, who am I going to tell about this? Because my men are going to think I'm crazy. So he picked three of his most trusted ones. And this is another evidence of the fact that he was shook. He didn't give him partial, or give him a partial part of this story. He told him everything. He told him all of it. You would think he might hold back just a little bit. No. He told him everything. And then he sent him off. Church, it even makes you want to ask, why, he, he could have just not said anything at all. Why would he tell anybody what happened? I mean, he's a centurion. He's the one that's in charge. But it was his faith that didn't let him off the hook. And it was his faith that set him in motion. 
and created movement in him, and he told his men to go and do what he was told to do. So faith is movement. The second thing that we're going to take a look at is going to be now looking at Peter. So now we've got Peter who is coming out of his own vision of being shown what no Jewish person had ever heard or seen before, ever. Peter's the one who gets this. See, the Jews had a very strict uh, instruction, a strict code on what food was clean or allowable to be eaten and what was unclean or what they would refer to as common. Okay, there were no gray areas here. It was very, very clear. But God had just revealed to him that everything that he understood to be unclean is now clean. But this wasn't what you would call a simple moment of God said it and Peter said, oh, okay. That's not Peter. See, Peter had to stand his ground. Nope, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. So the Lord had to speak to Peter not once, not twice, but three times. Isn't it interesting with Peter, this, this number three always just seems to stick with him everywhere he goes. But that's Peter. You got to love him. All right. And just like Cornelius was shook, Peter was, and this is what Scripture says. We're not going to read this, but it says that Peter was perplexed. And now we pick up with Peter. Starting in verse 19 in Acts chapter 10. Uh, excuse me, uh, starting with verse 20. Uh, yeah, I'm not, there we go, <laughs> verse 19. And while Peter was pondering the vision, I love that, pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation. In other words, don't be Peter right now. Just do what I'm telling you to do, okay? For I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you were looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. And so Peter invited them in to be his guests. Now, Peter isn't a soldier like this centurion, okay, on giving orders, following orders. But what Peter is, is he is an apostle of the living Jesus. And he knows how to obey. How? By faith. See, faith is obedience. It is receiving a word from the Lord without knowing the rest of the story, because we like having all the facts. For those of us who are raising children, it is amazing how good they are at not giving all the facts. When they know what all the facts are, and you can tell they're not telling you all the facts. And so, without knowing all the facts, Peter is obedient. And his faith is seen. And now here's where the stories come together. In verse 24, it says, And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And here's, 
got to hear this, got to pay attention to this. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, and you've got to love this because this is Peter. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. I would recommend that if you go to somebody's house for the first time, don't lead with something like that. <laughs> but, but, but Peter knows where he is. He may not know fully yet what he's been called to do. He may not fully know it yet, but he knows he is walking into a house that he is not supposed to set foot in. Now, part of the story that I didn't share, because I didn't want to cover everything, is that Peter didn't go by himself when he left Joppa to come to Cornelius' house. He brought some other Jewish believers with him. So in other words, there's witnesses to what's about to go down. And Peter can't come back and say, well, it really didn't happen like that. Nope. There's witnesses. They were going to watch this all go down. Oof. And so the thing that you, you find that's so interesting about this is what were Peter's options? So in other words, could Peter have stopped at the street and delivered everything that he is about to share with them. Something tells me he might have been able to pull that off. But that's not what God called him to do. God said, go with these men without hesitation. And he went. And he was invited in. And it was as he was walking in, I think, I don't have anything that records the exact timing of this, is that when Peter walked in and saw all those people there, that that vision that he was fighting against just came into full view right there. Don't call anything that, that you've considered to be unclean, to be unclean anymore. It's all clean. And that includes the Gentiles. So, as we begin to wrap this up, as we've looked at faith, as we've looked at faith being movement, Faith being obedience, faith being commitment. And that's what that last situation was right there with Peter. Peter had to commit. Peter had to commit. When he walked into Cornelius' house, he knew that there was no going back. There was no undoing that. So faith is commitment. So as we've looked at these aspects of what faith is and what belief is, I want to step into just two questions for us today. And I hope we'll just process our way through these. The first question is this. Can you believe and not have faith? The answer is yes. You can. We saw it all through Scripture over and over again. As people followed Jesus, as people loved his compassionate heart, they loved how he did miracles. They really dug the miracles. But when Jesus began to give a hard teaching, they didn't say that they hung back. They said they left him. 
They just left. Now, we can ask, you know, did, did they really believe in him? It seems so. They were following him. But did they have faith in him? It seems the answer is no. They didn't. Because when it, came, it came time for movement, when it came time for obedience, when it came time to commit, they were not on board for that. Here's the second question. Can you have faith and not believe? No, you can't. You, you, you can't. I, I don't know how many of you have been here when we have celebrated a baptism and we take this cover off over here and the water's good and warm and everything and folks get in and people introduce themselves and, and they hopefully share a little bit of their story. The first question we ask them is, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God? In every single situation where I have been in that moment, whether it's been in a lake, a river, a sea, here, bathtub, wherever it has been, the answer has always been yes. And the reason why I share that with you is because I want you to know we have these conversations with folks before we get here. Because something tells me if we got here and the question was asked and the answer was, uh, no. I'm pretty sure that the response from you guys would be, oh. And you might be asking, how in the world did they let him get in the water and not ask him that question? I, I want you to know that's fair. That is so fair of you to ask that. But if the answer is no, we, we, we can't go any further. It doesn't matter asking about whether or not you believe he died on a cross. Do you, do you believe that he was raised in three days? And that he's, he's going to forgive you of your sins and he's going to be your personal savior? No. If you don't believe that he is who he says he is, how can you have faith? There's nothing for you to put your faith into. There's nothing to move for. There's nothing to be obedient to. There's nothing to commit to because you don't believe. And so I hope that helps us understand the difference between believing and faith. So as, as we wrap this up, I, I want you to know this. You might be in some different places today in your belief and in your faith. You might be someone that's here today and you saw that picture of that mustard seed and you said, man, what I wouldn't give to have that. If I'm going to trust what Jesus says, or you might be here today and just your faith is weak. You're, you identify with the disciples when Jesus said to them, oh, you have little faith. And you want more. You want Jesus to grow your faith. Or you might be someone that's got centurion faith. And it's strong. And I want you to know, in the name of Jesus, I am so excited. And looking forward to what the Lord is going to do through you. If you've got that kind of faith, I hope and pray you are not keeping it on a shelf. 
I pray that you are doing something with that faith. But if, if, if your faith is that strong, I don't think you can help yourself. I think you're going to have to use it and do something with it, and I'm going to trust that you have been. But regardless of where your faith is, the question today is, how can I have faith? Well, here's the awesome part. It all begins with Jesus and him living inside of you. So church, I'm going to invite you to stand. And I'm just going to share some scripture with you. And I hope and pray that you've heard before, but if you haven't, I pray that the Holy Spirit lets you receive this today. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, Paul writes, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So when you hear the Word of God, you are receiving the words of Jesus and the beautiful and powerful gospel message. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, Paul wrote, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Jesus raised him from the dead, you will, not you might, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Hallelujah. And then here comes here comes your most crucial part, and it's invitation. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I love this, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. So church, how can you have faith? By inviting Jesus into your life, confessing him as your Lord and your Savior and believing upon him. And it is through him and his Holy Spirit work in your life, he will give you faith. He will give you what you do not have and you desire because he loves us so much that he gave his life for you and for me. Would you pray with me? Jesus, in this space and in this time, we not only confess your name, we confess you as Lord. And as we've looked and examined what faith is, causing us to examine our own faith and our own belief, if, Lord, there's any space that we come up wanting, we come up less than, we look at a mustard seed and we find ourselves jealous, would you help us, Lord? Would you meet us in this space right here, right now? Not next week, not a month from now, right now. And if there's anything, Lord, that you call us to do in response, to be prayed for, prayed over, let us come into that response in this space. Because you are here, ready to meet us. Your word says, if we will open the door, you will come. So come, Jesus. And we pray all this in your most holy name. And we all said, amen.